Case number 36. Master Wusu said, if on the road you meet a person who has fulfilled the way, greet this person with neither, neither words nor silence. Tell me, how will you respond? Woman's comment. Right here, if you can respond intimately, it will indeed be delightful. If you cannot, then see to it that in all situations, your eyes are watching. If on the road you meet a person who has fulfilled the way, don't greet this person with words or silence. Hold his jaw and give a nice blow on the side of his face. If you understand this directly, then you know its meaning. Well, the question I kept asking myself is, is this um, something admirable to fulfill the way? And I'm assuming that there's something wrong with it. And that's why you need to take the person by the jaw and give them a nice blow to bring them back to reality. So my comment, my thought, my writing was on a similar parallel path with you. I thought, why are we sort of power upping, up, uplifting someone who we assume has fulfilled the way based on our, our perspective? I mean, isn't everyone of equal value? Isn't everyone a baby Buddha, if not already a Buddha? Isn't everybody a budding Bodhisattva, if not already a Bodhisattva? So why would you greet anyone differently than anyone? Why wouldn't you just love everybody and greet them all with love? Everybody. So that's sort of where I, so of course, I don't know the answer. <laughs> and I'm sure Google's going to give us some idea of what it is. But the, the, if you meet a person who has fulfilled the way, greet the, I just think you greet everyone with love and compassion. Nelda, I was kind of on the same track, but what this uh, koan, what this brought up for me was an actual spontaneous meeting I had with a teacher that I respect and love very much and that I do believe um, is well along the path. And um, I was at one of his retreats, his name's Adyashanti. And I was there the day before the retreat started because I like to get there early, um, get settled before retreat begins. And I literally ran into him as I was going out the door from the meditation hall and he was coming in to check on the chairs and everything. I literally ran into him and I was just spontaneously delighted. It was like a surprise. And I said, Aja, it's so good to see you. And he said the same thing back to me. He said, it's good to see you too. And then he reached out and took my hand. And I said, I'm so happy to be here. I'm really looking forward to this retreat. And he said, me too. And, <laughs> and then we, we just smiled at each other and then continued on our way. And I thought the same thing you just said, Nelda. 
as I wrote about this, I thought it's the same way I feel whenever I see anybody I, I didn't expect to see that I care about. You know what I mean? It's like if, if I were to run into you on the street at the store, I would probably go, Nelda, hi. <laughs> Donna, Kim, hi, what are you doing here? You know? And uh, so that's what this poem reminded me of. And so I have no idea what it really means. I can just tell you what it reminded me of. Um, this sort of spontaneous, you know, just kind of happiness to meet somebody that you... Yeah, but how about, how about the deal of no words or silence? Well, I don't, for me, I don't know a thing about that. For me, <laughs> I can only tell you what happened spontaneously. Stephanie no will tell us. Okay, well, when I started writing, the, the first thing I thought, or the first thing I read about was, is this one of those trick questions? Because isn't, isn't this the obvious answer? You bow. You don't say anything. You don't, you don't not say anything. You just bow. You know, you have the action of bowing, which, as we've talked about before, indicates, I, you know, I see you. I recognize you as Buddha. You know, and I am bowing to you as Buddha. And it's like, you know, but then I thought, but that's the problem. All the koans are tricky. <laughs> so, so even though that seems like the right answer, I doubt that that's the full answer. Yeah. What, what, what's, a what's a nice blow? Is it, is it a gentle blow, like a kiss? It's like a grandma pinching your cheeks or when men hug, they beat each other on the back. You know, it's just all kinds of sweet little like grabbing somebody's hand and shaking it. You know, um, I, you know, really the bow says something to me. But the thing is, how can you know exactly what you do in the moment? You know, it's, it's the meeting. It's the meeting. That's where the energy is. Not in what you think you would do, you know. <laughs> it's well. Don't, that's, that's what there, there's a thing that this idea of fulfilling the way is more of a Theravadan goal than a Zen goal. So, <laughs> is this is this um, like a negative thing in this situation? That what do you think, Donna? Um, well. I didn't, I didn't go in that direction at all. I was much closer to Stephanie. My thought was, you know, you, you know, do it without words or silence. And it's like, what a limitation, you know? Come on, that's not, you know, the total realm of responses by any means. You know, bow is one, offer them a cup of tea, roll out the red carpet, pat, you know, the seat beside you. They're, you know, it, it's to me, it's that trick question, and they're trying to limit, you know, just totally limit how you can respond. Um, but again, who knows? We'll see. <laughs> Nancy, this reminds me of uh, <laughs> um, what um, a story, not really a story, but it's a project that they're working on. Um, on compassion, it's like the students are outside to work on a project to like um, show compassion, and the um, the teachers set some backgrounds, um, no backgrounds, um, on the way when they are walking from the the class to the hall to present their project. 
so all of them so eager to present compassion that they totally forgot that they have to like like <laughs> forgot their love and compassion, which mm-hmm. actually the the thing was like they walk through the beggars without paying attention. No one did anything, but they're going to present compassion. <laughs> so mm-hmm. this just makes me think, ah, uh, it's a concept. <laughs> but when we face reality, what we actually do. Cody? Uh, what I took from it is, you know, basically, like as far as the greeting, greeting uh, there's ways to go about it. Uh, without silence, you know, you can give the hit or, you know, just something simple. And that's. Please. Your voice dropped off a little, Cody. I think huh? frozen. Oh, can you hear me now? Can you hear me? Can yeah. Yeah. Can you hear me? Okay. I was saying that, uh, uh, <clears throat> like, as far as the the greeting, especially between, uh, I guess, two masters, you know, that they they don't have to be words or si- silence necessarily. You know, it could be uh, a wave or a wink. <laughs> or <laughs> some some like that, you know. I like that. Yeah. Um, I also think my images of the Dalai Lama. Have you seen, um, you know, videos of him when he's in a group or he's coming somewhere and meeting people? He just goes off script mm-hmm. totally, you know, and run goes up to people and holds their hands and looks at them and you know, hugs them. He does all sorts of things to connect. Like Nancy was saying, he never forgets um, the compassion and the love that we all are. And he he always is expressing that, you know, even if he has a meeting to go to or has to catch a plane, you know, (laughs) just made me think of that. Well, there is the, the koan, if you meet the Buddha on the road, kill him. So I'm wondering how that if that has any connection to this one. Okay, should we read? What do you think, Cody? Yes. Okay. Yes, we will, we will read. In what order, Cody? Alphabetical order. I'll start. Okay. Okay. You're starting? Yeah, can you uh, can you uh, share the screen? Oh, oh, oh! Can't read it. <laughs> you don't have it. Up. <laughs> That's a fine detail. <laughs> All right. Okay, so. 
Guogu's comment. How will you greet a person who has realized the way? And Chan or Zen, words and silence are pitched together as opposites. Some people think gestures are better. That is wrong. No words, silence, or gestures. The point is to place yourself in a situation in which you can neither advance nor retreat, speak or shut up, act or not act. How do you respond if you can't then read on? All right, Donna. Here, Wuzu Fayan is talking about Chan Master Zhijiang. Uh, I have already introduced the former on in a previous case and the latter in case five. As soon as you see neither words nor silence nor gestures, you may have a question such as, well, how do I respond then? Or you may simply feel stuck. Both are a good place to be. Perhaps I can hold your jaw and give you a blow to the side of the face. In the immediacy of this moment, can you realize it? There's no room for pretense here. It would be wrong to punch an awakened person to demonstrate your understanding if you have none. Why should you think an awakened person is any different from another? Who is discriminating between this and that? Is awakening special? Is delusion ordinary? In Chan, all beings are intrinsically awakened, free. In the midst of your daily life, how do you greet your family members, friends, colleagues, boss, and the coffee shop clerk? Are you stuck by your categories of awakened versus deluded? Words versus silence? action versus inaction, please don't be. Living and dying go on instant by instant, such that in living there's no die, there's dying, and in dying there's living, they are one. Chan practice will not bring you to a place beyond this. However, it will reveal the meaning of your life. Engaged in it, a way or path unfolds along which you can live in peace and fulfillment, along which you, you can live in peace and fulfillment. Where can you find this way or path? Not necessarily on the cushion or in meditation halls. Take your practice outside into the world. It is there that life unfolds and is fulfilled. Be intimate with all situations of life and there will be fulfillment. You discover that everyone is that person who has fulfilled the way. So he's a little suspicious of this guy, right? <laughs> okay, now um, it is Nancy. People compassion, um, people compartmentalize each other into friends or are neutral. The friends and family who are good to you, you like. People who are difficult, you dislike. And you couldn't care less about the people you don't know or who have not bearing on your happiness. 
haven't you experienced this? When you are doing things for or in front of a person you think is important, you often mess up or become clumsy. I was like that in front of my teacher. Now that I have my own students, I see this too. With people who can do certain tasks well, but who, for some reason, fumble on over the place when I'm around. They get an easy idea because they want to do well in front of their teacher or because they don't want to be perceived as being less than first rate. Why? It's not because people don't know what they're doing, not because they think the teacher is important. It's because their tension comes from discrimination between who is important, who is not, who is the teacher, who is the student. Why do people discriminate then? It is because there is attachment to self. Of course, this is not to say you should place everyone you meet in the neutral category. No, the categories are not the issue here, nor are they the fact that you know who's important and who's not. The issue is self-attachment. Tension is always there when there is a separate other which enforces, which reinforces notions of me. How do I look in front of this person? What will he or she think of me? I should do this well, so I am approved. Yet this me is really just an imagined reference point. Sure, you have a history. You have accumulated experiences and particular ways of thinking. But the reality is that these are just a continual flow of psychophysiological events. The fewer blocks you create, the more everything becomes fluid and natural. And I'm going to jump in here. Um, people are used to behaving, right, we're doing alphabetical, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. People are used to behaving in their own idiosyncratic ways that their brain and body have already learned this pattern. They automatically kick into certain modes when they meet one situation or another. Body-mind dynamic really is an amazing pattern of neurological, behavioral, emotional, and psychological events. The amazing truth is that there is no need for, fig for a fix permanent in the middle of all that. It is fixations based on a self that block the flow of things and cause mistakes. Mistakes make people feel self-conscious and the habitual pattern kicks in again on how to fix things. In doing so, they become worse. It's like doing calligraphy where one has to moderate one's strength in certain places. There should be more ink such as at, at, at the angles and in others less. Before the bend of the angle, one has to stop and then go down, making sure one's key or energy transfers from one's fingertip to the brush and onto the paper. Sometimes then one strains too much. The ink runs out and one needs to get more. In life, if you put too much emphasis on something, when you try too hard, when you become attached and captivated by how you want it to be, you will definitely make mistakes. That is to say, when you are distracted by various wandering thoughts, 
when you get caught up in yourself, you make mistakes. When I first took up calligraphy as a child, the first thing I learned was not to go over a mistake. It would make it look worse. The corrected area would become so dark that it would look awkward and unnatural next to the rest of the character. This is not to be distracted by me. It is not about perpetuating self-cherishing notions, self-referential thinking, nor imaginations of this or that. In engaging in practice, you discover patterns, shortcomings, habits, and also strengths. Your practice naturally unfolds amid all the gains and props that the self comes up with. Seeing them, you know not to be caught up with them, but to continue with what needs to be done in the present. I'm taking that Guo Gu thinks this guy uh, was stopped being a human being. You know, the, I, I go back to my my take that he was trying to like knock some sense into him. Being attuned to the present is important. <coughs> One of my students has a tendency to feel guilty for past things. We were talking on the phone when he suddenly cut me off, interjecting to make a point and to explain certain things. A week later, when we met, he apologized profusely. I just smiled and told him to put it down. Clearly, he had put too much thought into that. I have another student who likes to argue a lot. His habit is to analyze everything. He always takes the opposite perspective of the person he is talking to. So in our conversations, he often cuts me off, questioning this and that, for instance. <coughs> what about this? What about that? He often apologizes later on. I just smile and tell him to put it down. We all make mistakes in life. What you, what you do in the present not to repeat them is more important. Once in a retreat interview, a student apologized to me for a mistake she made. I told her, I don't see the past. I accept you now. A teacher will not bring the baggage of the past to the present. It's not that I have lost my memory. It's just that such baggage is usually not so helpful. Similarly, in life, you should face those around you with 100% of, of your attention. Don't get so caught up with the past or with the categories you impose on people. Don't take away the precious moment in the present with baggage from the past. You will then be free to respond and greet the person who has fulfilled the way. Any way of greeting will do. Can you see that the birds, the river, the people in your life, yes, even those difficult people, have fulfilled the way. Their way is their way. Each fulfills his or her way. <laughs> While their way may not agree with your way, know that all people are trying their best in the best way they know how. When you see them, be with them. When you are engaged in a task, be with the task. With this, just this. With that, just that. If they need help, help. If they are doing well, rejoice. This and that is just this and that. No self needed in the mix. This is to respond intimately. 
And I'm sorry I went ahead of you last time, Nelda. Chan practice is about intimacy, not about separateness of self and others. Whoever you interact with, whatever the situation calls for, be there fully. This is not intimacy in the sense that you hug everyone you see or kiss them or blur your social boundaries. It is the intimacy of not to. Being intimate, any words or silence, gesture or no gesture is appropriate. Once on a retreat, there was a woman who practiced very diligently. She was diligent, but relaxed. At the end of the retreat, she was very grateful. She said, toward the middle of the retreat, I realized that all I had to do was to practice my method, nothing else. If I was hungry, there were three meals per day. When tired from practice, I slept well at night. More important, if I didn't use the method correctly or when I needed to hear encouragement, you were always there to guide me and always said exactly what I needed to hear. All of my garbage that I had brought to the retreat was left behind. I've never had that luxury. Thank you. I'm grateful. In fact, after the retreat, even her husband came to thank me. Tell me, how did she greet me? What did she, how did she greet her husband? If you can respond intimately, it will indeed be, to, oh, sorry. I don't need to read that part. Oh, finish it, finish it. Yes. If you can respond intimately, will indeed be delightful. If you cannot, then see to it that in all situations, your eyes are watching. To be intimate means to be without self. With practice, you become normal, humble, more relaxed with everything, with everyone. If you find yourself in a state of vexations, what do you do? You have to relax, relax the body, relax and mind. The fact is, in that moment, your body has already kicked into its habit pattern. Stress hormones have already flushed out through your sympathetic nervous system. So learning to relax the body is extremely important. It will break the pattern and stop it from getting worse. You also have to relax the mind. This means relaxing your grip on me. If you like this gong gong, then bring up this phrase, your words nor silence and relax. With more experience, you will become more relaxed and more in tune with your body and mental states. If someone insults you, notice tension in your stomach, shoulders or facial muscles. Your first response will be to relax. You will then be able to snap out of your negative habits. And see to it that in all situations, your eyes are watching means you're practicing cautiously with great care. Eyes are watching in the original Chinese means allowing your eyes to rest, to fall, to behold something. This something is whatever appears before you. Keep it simple. With this, just this. With that, just that. Take yourself out of the mix. When you meet someone, don't greet the person with your own baggage of like and dislike. Be authentic, unpretentious. A practitioner's eyes are open. 
his or her actions are mindful. Don't fall prey to your own fabrications or constructs. That's the meaning of eyes are watching. If on the road you meet a person who has fulfilled the way, don't greet this person with words or silence. Hold his jaw and give a nice blow on the side of his face. If you understand this directly, then you know it's meaning. If you, have, if you discover you have already erred, that you're projecting your own attachment onto the person you meet, then apologize. Leave the slapping to one who is awake. Don't intellectualize about this nice blow on the side of the face. It has nothing to do with punching or not punching, understanding or not understanding. Meeting someone who has fulfilled the way is a simple act of everyday life. If you ask me, a simple handshake would do. <laughs> <laughs> so he answered the question. <laughs> and that's what happened. That's what happened when I met Ajashanti that time. And I have to say, looking back on it, I can tell you that it was spontaneous. It was unexpected. And because of that, it felt warm and natural and intimate. I didn't even... When, when I would go to talk to Flint, for instance, or project, you know, some meeting with Peg, I get all tight sometimes. But there was none of that in that moment at the retreat with this other teacher, because I didn't have time to think about it. It happened so suddenly. It was just there in the moment. And it was just, a, you know, I often think of it about how natural it was. And if somebody had said, Dale, I'm going to introduce you to Ajashanti today. I, I would have gone, you know, I would have gone bonkers trying to think about what I should say or how I should be or what was it going to be like. And it wouldn't have had anywhere near the warmth and intimacy that I actually experienced um, in that moment. So um, I really like this koan. So I think I'm going to be re repeating that phrase. What does he say? Um, <laughs> neither silence nor um, something like that. Words. words. Yeah. <laughs> to remind myself to get out of my head. You know? Well, it seems the key was the word relax, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm, I'm pretty, it, it seemed like that koan, you know, described me to the T because especially coming from the military, you know, you, you cross paths with a lot of high-ranking people. And, um, just say, like, a colonel comes around, you know, you got to scramble, get the area clean. Uh, it's, it's like a big butt kiss up, you know. You know it's, it's, uh, it's not a natural flowing way that you go about things. Everything has to be dressed right, dressed. Everything has to be in order. You know, it just it's just not a normal day you know and and I think you know now I'm still in that mindset and it's, it feels like I don't I, I don't I can't relax sometimes and you know it, it kind of helps me take a step back and you know realize like you know don't try so hard I like that um Cody, that's, I noticed that too, that trying too hard, um, 
and projecting and feeling tense. And um, that's why when, uh, what's his name, Wu Men, or it says, um, you know, basically just sit back, take a breath and watch, you know, just, mm -hmm. just, you know, just take a couple of deep breaths and just, you know, watch what's actually happening. Yeah. Right. So I guess I need to take back my theory about um, there was something wrong with this guy because it seems like the main, at least going with Google Goo, the main deal was how do you approach this guy and not what's wrong with him. I'll take it back. It, it, it definitely, because uh, the last question on the agenda, you know, says, does it change or from your initial impression? And what in your life is illuminated by this koan? Well, it certainly changed my initial impression. Right. Mine too. I love that. I love that the koans in our practice keep reminding us that we are not two. Is that, is that the phrase? Not, not two. One, not one, not two. Not one, not two. If I just... Keep, if I if I could just keep a all day long mantra of not one not two, I think that the the path would be more peaceful for me. But I I forget that you know I forget that a lot. I think you're all alone. All the rest of us <laughs> never do. I never forget that. <laughs> Oh, and it comes up in such, it comes up in such, I can't believe today, I, I just, I would just surprised myself with this. Someone wouldn't let me onto the highway. And I thought, here was the thought, here was the awful co construct. Well, that's not a native Austinite, Californian. Well, <laughs> I was born in California, so you know, and then I thought, well, Melda, why would you think that? I mean, even even all Austinites aren't the same. And look at what you just and so it was a great practice moment too to just and just to look at what I had just said and all that that contained. So anyway, it just yeah. And again, it made it it, it made someone separate than me. Someone I powered up in that one short word, California. <laughs> People were like that at. Sam's yesterday, but with shopping carts, but oh. not let not letting you in. It was people were ruthless. I don't know what was going on, but fear. <laughs> people get everyone had their their carts completely filled to the top with all kinds of junk. It, it was. You know what you said, should have said to them, Kim? You should have said. I should. I'm going to Costco. That's what I should have said. <laughs> no, what you should have said is, "Oh, now you're being like Nelda, who has moved and has all these back boxes <laughs> of Costco supplies to unpack and nowhere to put them." 
What did they come? They haven't come yet. No, no, I'm talking about oh. I bought so much during the oh. pandemic and now I've moved it to this back little <laughs> house. And there's no place to put it. <laughs> I think it will start coming tomorrow. Oh, good. He's the 18th. Yeah. Yeah. Kim's talking about um, our homeless uh, deal. Our homeless. Yeah. Practice. Yes. Stephanie, are you going to help bag? Oh, great. You're muted, Yay. Stephanie. You're muted. Sorry. Yes, I am. Two o'clock, oh. right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, it'd be good to yeah. see you. Yes, if you want to come a little earlier, you can help set up. Sure, I'd be happy to. Oh. Happy to. Yeah, because I'll, I mean, I'll need to leave. Okay, because I'll need to leave it at um, three to go pick up grandkids. They'll be spending the night with me for the right. first time year and a half. Are you home, Stephanie? Mm -hmm. Are you home now? Yes. Welcome. Thank you. I think everyone's home. You're home, Gail. I am. Nelda's almost home. No, I'm home. I closed today. Which house are you at? I'm at the only house I have, the back house that I'm Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I couldn't see enough of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I closed on my other house today at four o'clock. I see. Right. And how are the dogs adjusting, Nilda? Oh, they love it back here. We did not have any squirrels on the west side. They love chasing the squirrels. They love that on all sides of us. There are doggies. They love that the pecans fall on the roof and they bark <laughs> at every one of them. I mean, they <laughs> love it. <laughs> Oh, good, good. Don't you love it, baby girl? <laughs> yes, come on. You know, oh. getting back to our koans here. Yes, oh, good. That, <laughs> every one of them basically is asking you to kind of uh, enter into the koan as if you're acting in it, you know? And, um, I was just reading here um, under uh, women's, um, no, Guogu's comment. He said, Chan practice is about intimacy, not about separateness of self and others. Whoever you interact with, whatever the situation calls for, be there fully. And that's kind of what these koans are asking us to do. And each one of them is to enter into it, you know, uh, as if we were, it was happening to us, you know, um, but I really love that. Um, you know, I'm not being intimate when I'm um, in some sort of a discriminatory, like Nelda said, judging mode, you know, <laughs> there's no intimacy there. I'm, I'm, what I'm being intimate with is my own ideas about things, you know, <laughs> with my own thoughts and actually not with what's happening. And, um, it seems like the entire practice of Zen is this intimacy with the, with the present moment and what is happening. Um, I can't be reminded about that enough. I have a question for Donna that's a little bit more about transmission and India versus China. But maybe you remember there was something we read years ago 
about <coughs> that, that the idea of lineage was more important as a Chinese idea than an Indian idea. Do you remember something like that? Uh, yes, I do. Um, I, I, it's, I believe it, it can be tied in with um, the great respect that the Chinese have for their ancestors. And, and the, the idea of uh, the seven Buddhas before Buddha, that came from China, maybe, rather than India? That I don't know, but I think oh. the, the idea of these lines of transmission that, you know, so-and-so transmitted to this person who transmitted to this person, that um, it, it's much more of a Chinese, um, <clears throat> it's more important in the Chinese tradition than, than yeah, that's what I thought. I've been trying to think about why was the transmission so important in the flower sermon. Mm. And, and, and you know that that, that story um, really, it became so important in Chan. You know, I, I don't know that it was that important in India at all. You know, its importance came later because of the robe that... Um, Kashyapa swapped with the Buddha, you know, and the, you know, it, it just became a perfect example of, ah, you know, this, you know, we're handing on robes. Ooh, here's somebody who handed on robes. Let's create this lineage, you know, that goes, you know, all the way back Kashyapa to Buddha. So, so what, what I'm trying to figure out, like at our college, you weren't allowed to participate in the hiring of someone to replace you. You could have no part of this. You couldn't be on the committee. Sometimes there would be even time when you were gone and then like a month or two, they'd start up the search process. So there'd be a temporary person. So what is it about, what is the value of transmission? What is the value of this connection? Because one person is going to leave and the other one's going to come. You know, that's what I'm asking. Well, I think it, it it's a very different situation, it seems to me, because in your situation, there's not, you know, that you and the person who comes after you are both occupying the same position. But well, no, I would be leaving, like when I left. Right, but yeah. the person who replaces you, you know, you're, you're occupying the same position, but there's not necessarily any shared, you know, you haven't taught that person who's replacing you. You know, the, it, it, part of Zen transmission is that uh, the people who receive it are the ones who can take the teachings, you know, everything they've learned from their teacher and uh, can carry it forward and even and, and build on it. It's not just, you know, being able to parrot it, that you, it's part of that idea of intimacy of responding in the moment that this person is so gifted that, you know, this whole long chain of people who have um, been responding to their present moment, this person has that ability and will be able to add to the transmission. It's not just a, um, you know, a parroting the same thing over and over and over again. It's building more and more people, um, you know, each person adds their own gift to the to the line of transmission. 
Oh, I like that, Donna. The, te the, like te the teaching gets transmitted, too. Right. Mm -hmm. but, but yeah. the, and the person. Yeah, yeah, but not just not just as concept, mm -hmm. you know, because there are a lot of people who can have an intellectual understanding of the concepts, but the transmission should be by someone who's, as Donna said, it, it is a completely unique expression of what the teachings are pointing to. That's how I see, that's how I see Flint. I love that he knows the teachings, but his expression of them are just so beautiful and so inviting. It's just they they wrap you in this warmth and, and also solid teaching guidance, I think. So there has to be in my in my never to be humble opinion. <laughs> <laughs> there has to be um, some element of direct experience that the person is actually coming from, and, you know, not just spouting or, you know, even having a clear intellectual understanding of teachings. Um, you know, uh, you know, one of the main things that I think a teacher should do is actually teach from their experience. Do you know what I mean? It's, that's what they're transmitting. <laughs> their own essence, their own way of being in the world. And I think that's one of the things you're talking about with Flint. That's why um, he's a good teacher because it's more than just what he's saying, you know. I love him too. Well, Cody, what do you think? Are we done? Cody says yes.